<laughs> Morning, everybody. Yo, that's, that was a wake up. Good to be together. Um, seeing uh, Deb's up here playing your instrument. Thanks so much for serving us. I was thinking of Gary. I was chatting to my brother-in-law the other day, and he was like, how do you choose what IPL team to support? Because I was getting all frothing. And uh, just so you know, the Gujarat Titans, Gary's part of their coaching team. I think they're top of the log at the moment, so good for them. Plus, David Miller's in the team. Surname, I share a surname with him. That's why I chose. So if you're looking for what team to support, the GTs for the win. But uh, I know it's tough for you guys. He's away for a long time, but send him my love and uh, continue to think of you guys. Uh, yeah, good to be together. I have been a bit sick over the last little while. I was wondering if maybe you guys find out. That's why you're avoiding my spits up front here. <laughs> but it's good to see you guys out there. Um, so exciting. Little Becky, my youngest, had a sports day. Uh, first one. We've missed the last few years. That was awesome. I got to see the videos. I unfortunately couldn't make it down there because of uh, the bronchitis. Um, but yeah, I do ask you to pray for me. I'm going to the UK Tuesday night. Uh, our, the churches that we're part of, Advance, uh, they're having their global conference. It normally happens every two years in Cape Town, just because it's so much easier and cost-effective for everyone to come here. But with COVID and all the cancellations and uncertainties, they've decided to go ahead in the UK. So I'm really nervous, mostly for the person sitting next to me if I'm coughing uh, repeatedly. So, so pray for me that Tuesday uh, I come back to full health. It'll be great. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll let you guys know how that, that conference goes. I think it's going to be fantastic. Great to build those relationships, uh, renew those connections, find out what God's doing around the world, and uh, also get to spend some time with my sister that I haven't seen for four years, so, and my nephew, so really, really exciting. Okay, let me... We are in week three of our James series. I've really been enjoying this, and uh, you'll see these banners that have been put up. We, I just thought... It's so great for us just to display some of what we feel like God's been speaking to us about in a community in this season. So you've got James 1 verse 4, it kind of the key verse in the book of James. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's kind of the thrust of James. He's saying, hey, Christ followers, you know, don't just grow old, grow up. You know, go into maturity, uh, strengthen your faith, keep moving forward in your followership of me. And then John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Felt God saying to us at the beginning of this year, especially with all the life group leaders, just an encouragement to us as a church. You know, sometimes we live like we're the vine. You're like, we've got everything we need to give and to sustain our lives. But I think God wants to remind us we're the branches, he's the vine. We tap into him, we get our life from him. So beautiful reminder. And then Philippians 1 verse six, it actually begins, be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And it's just this encouragement that we know that it's God who's begun this work, not only in our lives as individuals, but as a church. And so just this call to confidence that God will see us through and, and uh, we will live into the all of what God has for us. So yay for those. So as I said, James, it's all about this call to maturity. And so in week one and two, we've seen that a maturing faith that grows through trials Firstly, perseveres towards maturity. You know, when you go through difficulties, hard times, 
complications, complexities. You have to persevere towards maturity. And secondly, seeks wisdom from above. That was Luke just before Easter. He was with us first time in over two years. Uh, he really enjoyed it. Thank you guys for hosting him so well. It was good uh, to hear from him about how well it went. But, but that's what these first five kind of, this first five-week sub-series in the book of James, it's, it's James writing to Christ followers who are in trials. I mean, it, the, the Greek describes troubles of all textures and colors. There's a myriad of, of different things we, we kind of fall into in life. Troubles, difficulties, setbacks, challenges, um, doubts, you know, and they're normal. We all experience them. I mean, we can't expect to live our lives as people and not experience setbacks. But James wants to make sure that in the midst of all these setbacks and challenges, that we're coming into maturity. We're not allowing these things to kind of pull us back or pull us away from God. And so uh, today we're going to continue with that. I love the book of James. I've said it before, you know. As we're preaching through this, I encourage you to go read the book of James in your time you set aside to be with God, uh, to read the word, reflect on the word, you know, prayerfully respond to what God's talking to you about. I mean, you can't read this book from, from beginning to end and not be changed and not be transformed. I mean, James is just so encouraging. He's so challenging. He's so specific. And one of the great things about preaching a book like this is you speak about topics and things that you don't decide. You kind of just go with whatever's in the text. And there are so many different, really practical spheres of our lives that he touches on. And so it's very, very exciting. And it's transformative. And I want to say to you, it's not transformative only because you're hearing God's word taught. It's transformative because we, we, we're hearing it under the authority of God's word. In other words, our lives are, are, are lived under the authority of God's word. As we read the Bible, as we engage with James, as we hear his word preached, you know, we don't stand over it and decide, you know, yeah, we take that, we like that. No, no, we're under God's word. We say, as I hear your word preached, God, I ask you to transform me, I ask you to change me, I ask you to align me with what you're doing. Change my values, change my heart, change my thinking, change my action, change my lifestyle. And so we're under God's authority. So even now, in your heart, just say, God, as your word is preached, as we read through the book of James, I place myself under the authority of your word. Would it, would it have its way in me. So I hope there's this anticipation in you for this, this transformation that God's doing in our lives. Now, maybe you're not yet a Christ follower and you're here today. Great, great to have you with us. Hope you're feeling relaxed and welcome. Uh, always love to have visitors. But I think the truth is it doesn't matter if you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower. We all experience life's difficulties and troubles and strifes. And they, they test us. You know, under pressure, you know, through those cracks, you know, our true selves come out. And so these struggles have a way of, of really testing us. And, and if you're not yet a Christ follower, I, I, I hope that you hear from God today an invitation. It's an invitation to, to a real faith for real life. That God's inviting you to find rest in him. That God's inviting you to find a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose, a sense of self in Him, apart from your ability to make your life work for you. Apart from your ability to try and forge your own sense of meaning, your own sense of identity, your own sense of self, that God actually wants to, to give you rest as He gifts you with these precious things. 
Of course, most of us are Christ followers, and so we're saying yes to God's word, this urging to maturity. But I wanted to speak, I know a lot of us have been following Jesus for a long time. Who's been following Jesus more than 40 years? Anyone here? There we go, 50 years? Golly, 50, no one wants to own up. But, but there's a lot of us that have been following Jesus for a long time. And, and our, the truth is, sometimes we can get complacent. You know, after you've been following Jesus for a few years, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you kind of start to think, you know, I've heard this, I've been there, I've heard a sermon on that, I've read that. And we can get to the place where, not necessarily, you know, on purpose, we, we stunt our growth and we stunt our maturity. And I want to call us again, even those of us that have been following Jesus for many, many, many years, that it's time for us to hear God's call to maturity afresh that is calling us to more, that is calling us to more Christ-likeness, to fresh surrender. And, and so see this book of James as a real gift to you as a seasoned Christ follower. This is God's gift to you to remind you to freshly surrender to him all the time. You know, in preparing for, for this message, I preached it a few weeks ago in South Penn, and I became so aware of in life how difficult it is sometimes to keep the really important things in life important and to keep them as a top priority. You know, life is complex, it's busy, and what can happen is, not, not, un, not unimportant things, but less important things in our lives can kind of rise up to take center stage. And actually some less important things can, can be the things that we start to make decisions around. Is this irritating anyone or just me? I keep seeing it in the corner of my eye. But you know, these lesser things they can start to dictate our diary, you know, how we spend our resources, what we do with our time and our treasures. You know, these lesser things, you know, maybe they're urgent, and so they kind of take center stage in our lives. They might not be important, but they're urgent. Maybe they're important to someone else in your life. Maybe they're important to culture, and so they sneak in and become important to us. And without even realizing it, these less important things can become troublesome. Here's an example. Uh, date nights. You know, if you're married, date nights. Uh, they're very important. Important to keep your relationship. Important to continue building that relationship, to have, uh, you know, face-to-face -face time. They're not urgent. It's, like, it's not like if you don't do one this week, you know, everything's going to fall apart, although that could be the case. But they're not urgent, but they're important. And how easy it is for us to let go of really important things as we let less important things kind of crowd out some of those things. And that's one example, but maybe kind of in a more impactful way. You know, with this priority shift of, of, of letting other things kind of take center stage in our lives, we can, we can start to lose our true sense of self. And then we sang those songs, I am who you say I am. I mean, our sense of self is given to us by God. But as we allow lesser things to become more important than they should be in our lives, we actually even start to get a sense of self, a sense of identity, a sense of meaning from things that are not worthy of our lives. Now, whether it's through neglect, distraction, or just unconsciously, we need to be aware that this can happen. But luckily for us, we're not the first people to struggle with this. Uh, 
it happens through all generations. Even right back here, James 1, 9 to 12, we're gonna see how James writes to Christ followers who are in a very similar kind of circumstance and he encourages them and I believe he encourages us today. And he's, we're gonna see how a maturing faith that grows through trials has an identity rooted in Christ, not in circumstances. My voice gets funny, it's the bronchitis. So let me pray for us as we anticipate God's work. God, we thank you for the gift of your word as we read it and as we hear it expounded that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and our lives, that you would bring it to bear on our thinking, on our affections, on our lives, our circumstances, the people in our lives, our attitudes, that God, you would transform us, not only for our good, but for your glory. Amen. Okay, so I'm gonna read through the text and then we're gonna see three encouragements that James gives. Firstly, an encouragement to the poor, an encouragement to the rich, and then an encouragement for everyone. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Strange. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. Doesn't sound right to us because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I mean, this is God's word. It always gets a bit when he, we're speaking to the rich and the poor, it, it kind of hits a nerve with us, doesn't, us, doesn't it? But let me give you some context just to remind us of where we are in James. You know, he's been writing about trials and he's saying, hey guys, persevere in your trials. You know, in the midst of your trials, if you wanna grow in your faith, seek wisdom. It's what Luke spoke about. And then here, all of a sudden, it's like, it's like he just changes tack and all of a sudden now, he's speaking to Christ followers about being rich and poor. Why this sudden change of focus? Well, I think two reasons. I think the one thing James is doing is he's doing like a case study. He wants to say to those listening, he's saying, you know, this is an example of the kind of trials I've been writing about. It's like a typical example. We experience these trials. That's the one reason. The second reason, maybe the more impactful reason, is that the truth is James speaks a lot about wealth. In the book of James, we hear a lot about material possessions, wealth, privilege, power, and the impact it has not only on our lives as Christ followers, but especially on our relationships with each other within the body of Christ, within the local church. So it's not just a random case study. James actually wants to speak to the rich and the poor in the church. Our economic realities, they have a way of impacting us more than we realize and they can separate us. They can come between us. They can set up barriers that shouldn't be there. So remember James, he's writing to uh, Christians, uh, Jews who've con who follow Jesus, put their faith in Christ, so they're believers scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Some are rich, some are poor. You know, maybe some had to leave everything they had and, and just run for their lives and find themselves in poverty. 
Maybe some landed up in places where they were well-received and they could trade and do business. Others maybe found themselves under pressure and rejected and couldn't really operate at all. Maybe some had skills that people needed and so they were able to, to build up some kind of resource. But whatever the reason for, for the, the circumstances, it's obvious that there's a significant impact happening. And, and here's an example of, of the way James speaks to poverty and riches. Uh, James 2.1, it says, my brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. We'll get to that one. And he speaks to the church and coaches the church how we relate with each other. 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. How do we do, what do we do then? James 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. So that's the context for today's text. James is speaking to believers. The big idea is this. Christ followers must keep their identity rooted in Christ, not their temporary circumstances. Not their temporary circumstances. So, we know what the physical circumstances were, the rich and the poor, but what was the problem that James is writing to? What is he addressing in the hearts of the believers? I believe the believers were facing this temptation. I guess it's a temptation to a kind of identity deception. Identity deception. So broadly speaking, people would look at their circumstances, look at their material circumstances, and they were starting to define themselves by those circumstances that they were being tempted to believe that their station in life was who they were and was what they were worth. And when it, was, it was starting to dictate their very sense of self. They were starting to think that their economic reality was, true, was a true reflection of everything that's true of them. They're losing sight of eternity. Their faith is waning. These lesser things are rising up. And so James gives three encouragements to the church. So let's look at them. Firstly, an encouragement to the poor. The brother in humble circumstances, the sister in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in his high position. Now, obviously, he's using paradoxical language here. It makes, a, it makes its point so powerfully. I mean, Chesterton says it's like a truth standing on its head, shouting for attention. Those in humble circumstances take pride in your high position. You know, they're, those that are, are struggling, that are poor, that don't have material, they're looking at their lives and they're thinking, this is who I am. Kent Hughes, he writes this. He says, because they were economically low, they were low in the eyes of the world and no doubt in most instances low in their own eyes. Their poverty produces a lowliness of mind. And James, as he always does, he gets to work in the life of believers and he calls them to action. I mean, part of this maturity that James is calling us to, it's, it's we take action in our lives. We put our faith to work. And he commands them to take pride in their high position. He, another translation says, those in humble circumstances should boast in your high position. He's saying you should have an unusually high confidence in this high position that you have. Celebrate it, talk about it, brag about it, instead of finding yourself defined 
by your humble circumstances. So the big question is, what is this high position? Well, he's already told us when he started with the words, the brother or the sister. He's telling them that, that you Christ followers should be celebrating and boasting in the truth of your standing in God. You should be boasting in the truth of your purpose that's been gifted you in God, your sense of self, your identity that's been gifted to you by God. And also boast in the dignity of your position in the local church, that in the local church we, we're all on, on common ground before the cross. We're all on equal footing. There's no rich and poor in the family of God. He says you should be holding your head up high if you're in humble circumstances because of your high position. You're more than your circumstances. He's echoing Jeremiah. Jeremiah says, but let him who boasts, boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Michael Eaton says, the high privilege of the poor is that the gospel is especially designed for them. I mean, he's, he's speaking about Matthew 11. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Let me talk about some application for our lives because maybe you're not seeing the connection between your life and this text or not sure exactly how it ought to apply to you or connect to you. I think the truth is, as a culture in general, it's increasingly hedonistic, pleasure-seeking. It's, it's, it's hedonistic, it's more material, and it's despiritualized. In other words, as a culture that we, the culture that we live in is, is not really concerned about eternity anymore, and it's not concerned about the reality of a spiritual life. And so what we're left with is, is the world around us. That actually, life is all about just enjoying what we can in the world around us. And, and the truth is, if that's how we're living, wealth, privilege, and power go hand in hand with how much of this world we can enjoy, with how much of this world we can actually take in. And that impacts us. It impacts us maybe like this. I mean, think about your own life for a moment. Think about the people that are in your life, maybe you know, in your home, maybe staff that work for you, maybe at work, maybe as you just go around your business. Just think about your life. We're impacted sometimes when we look at someone who is in, in humble circumstances compared to where we are or marginalized, we generally find nothing to be excited about. We couldn't imagine that there's anything for that person to boast about. We can't imagine that there's anything of real value that we could really take hold of or learn from that person or those people. Maybe what we do feel is a little bit of a tinge of guilt or pity. Interesting, James doesn't pity the poor at all in this text, does he? No, he reminds the poor that you've got something to boast in, that you've got something to take pride in. Now remember that this letter is written to both the rich and the poor in the local church, I mean, amongst the believers. And so there's implications for our lives, for the way we live. Be aware that we don't live our lives simply overlooking or disregarding the poor. Let's not be Christ followers who overlook or disregard the poor, not believing that there's real value in them. 
let's not buy into any of that prosperity gospel thinking that, you know, you know, people are in the circumstances because of what they've done or because of, you know, they haven't understood God or they've done something, but actually we're in, in a different state. I mean, let's just not even go there. And then speaking directly to the poor, those in humble circumstances. I mean, if that's you, if you find yourself in humble circumstances, I know poverty and, and riches, it's kind of relative. So, you know, just take this as you hear it, as you think of your own life. But as he speaks to the poor, he says, don't start to think. Don't believe that only the rich, the powerful, or the privileged can be used by God. So don't believe it for a moment. If you're in humble circumstances, don't think for a moment that you can have any less of a grasp on the will of God than anyone else. He says, don't believe it. Of course, we can take a step back for a second, just think a little broader. And we think about people in humble circumstances. We've been talking about financially. You know, the truth is following Jesus in our culture today can, can land you in some difficult places. You can find yourself kind of facing persecution on the outs, being excluded. And although we might not suffer economically in the West so much because of that persecution, although it can happen, we can find ourselves in humble circumstances of, of being rejected, being looked down on. I mean, being faithful to God is, is being regarded as bigotry. That's actually like a type of extremism. It's seen as totally intolerant, intolerant. And so we can find ourselves on the outs. And when we find ourselves on the outs, when we find ourselves persecuted, when we find ourselves left out or disregarded or disqualified, we can take comfort in James's words that there is a high position that we, can, that we can see ourselves in, gifted to us by God. Okay, so there's an encouragement to the poor, an encouragement to the rich. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position. So there is some debate in this text. You know, is James writing to rich Christ followers or is he writing to the rich outside the church that are persecuting Christ followers? For me, it's clear that James is addressing Christ followers, that this is kind of the contrast between the rich and the poor in the local church. And he's saying, hey, if you're, in, in, if you're rich, if you've got good financial circumstances, he says, you're facing the same problem. The same temptation is on you, that you're in, in danger of placing your sense of value, worth, identity, your sense of self in your material possessions, in what you've accumulated around you rather than in Christ himself. And so again, he calls for action. He says, boast, he says to the wealthy, the privileged, the powerful, take pride in, boast in, speak the truth about your low position, your low position. Let me just point out here so that we're clear. James is not condemning the rich. He's not condemning the rich. He doesn't call the rich to repentance. Being wealthy, having financial means is not a sin. You know, many of the, the key figures in the scriptures were wealthy people. What James is addressing here isn't the wealth. He's addressing the impact that financial means and wealth can have on our lives and our thinking and our sense of self. So the big question, what is the low position? Verse 10, but the one who is rich, take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. The sun rises with scorching heat, withers the plant, its blossoms fall, its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. So I think this low position is a few things. 
One, it's the reality that our riches are temporary. They're part of what will pass away when Christ makes all things new. And so the rich must accept that, that their position will one day be undone when God makes all things new. And, and I think the other thing, this low position is James is reminding them that don't forget that your riches are fleeting and unpredictable even in this life. Even in this life, they're unpredictable. I think this low position is, is to understand that there's no special standing before God or in his family reserved for the rich. There's no special advantages, no reserved seats, no auto, automatic positions for the rich in the body of Christ. And so for the rich, this lowly position is truly understanding that although it's, it's easy for us to find our sense of worth and a sense of purpose and a sense of security and a sense of identity in our wealth, it will not truly satisfy. It's not worthy of your life. It's not worthy of defining who you are. It's not a true reflection of what's ultimately true about your life. I mean, Psalm 49 cuts straight to the heart. It says, do not be overawed when a man grows rich, when the splendor of his house increases, for he will take nothing with him when he dies. His splendor will not descend with him. And I think it's true to say that I think the wealthy, you know, we're often prone to a sense of being in control. To some degree, I guess, you know, when we're wealthy, we can insulate ourselves from, from some level of risk. You know, we're able to, even with the ups and downs of life, we're able to make things work, you know, maneuver things, make things happen. And what, what we can fall into is that kind of mindset where we start to think of ourselves as a capable savior, that actually we can make life work, that we can work this out, that we're in ourselves sufficient to take care of things. So be careful of that, says James. And then think about, think about generally our attitudes. Remember, this, this letter is being read by both the rich and the poor. I don't know about you, and I'm generalizing here, but, but I would say we tend to value the rich. You know, we tend to listen to the rich extend trust to the rich, we, we kind of give the rich credibility. I mean, why do we do that? I think it's something worth reflecting on, something worth thinking about. I think that's what, what James is calling us to here. You know, success in one area of life doesn't equate to success in other areas of life. And it doesn't equate to, to worth. It's all an illusion, James reminds us. That's this lowly position that the rich should remind themselves and, and boast in. Okay, before I move on to this third and final encouragement, that's for everyone, let me just say a few things about these, these encouragements for the rich and the poor. I mean, we can see what James is doing. He's trying, to, he's trying to elevate the poor. He's saying to those in humble circumstances, you know, boast in your high position in Christ. And then he's reminding the rich, hey guys, don't forget that you're mortal and that your treasure is not worthy of your life. Michael Eaton, he says it like this. If you're rich, don't be arrogant. If you're poor, don't be intimidated. Realize that money is really not a very important matter at all. It is simply part of this world's situation. It is not eternal. Everything will change at death and your situation might change even in this life. Now, I mean, James himself and the Bible has a lot more to say about riches and poverty. Um, now, I said earlier that there's no rich and poor in the body of Christ. I mean, 
that was a, a misstatement. I mean, they are rich and poor in the body of Christ. But now we're just looking at this text in James and we're seeing what is God saying to us about our sense of worth that we can take out of our economic means. So thirdly, an encouragement for everyone. Blessed is the man or woman who perseveres under trial because when they've stood the test, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now he's pulling off some masterful pastoral work here. I mean, I don't know if you, you know, when you're speaking to the rich and then you're speaking to the poor, the divide can kind of grow up in the church and we can start to think, well, you know, where am I and who am I and is this division? But here, James, just quickly, he pulls everyone together again and he says, hey, don't forget, guys, we're all the body of Christ. We're, we're all together here. So he brings an encouragement to everyone. And whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we're, we're all facing a temptation and we're all in a danger of something. So we all need to, to persevere. And he's pulling us back to the larger flow of James. Remember, James is writing to people in trials and he's calling them to perseverance. So again, we see those words. Blessed is the person who perseveres. Perseveres. I love that language of has stood the test. I mean, it's the Greek, the language, it's, it's about the, the, the successful testing of precious metals or a, or a coin. So it speaks about the, the heat, the pressure of being tested, but then also the result of being seen as authentic. And so as we stand the test, as we persevere, as we grow in our faith, yeah, the pressure's gonna be on, or we're gonna find our faith approved. We're gonna find our faith genuine, our trust in God pure. It says, God rewards those who persevere, who stay the course, who don't give up. And the promise is for the crown of life. I mean, what is the crown of life? Well, it's not a, a crown like a king and queen, might be what you're thinking. He's borrowing from the world of sports here. In the ancient world, you know, the winner's got a wreath. So an athlete, when you complete the race, you get a wreath which, which shows you've won the race. And so I think what James is doing is he's, he's calling us as Christ followers, wherever we find ourselves in life, in life, continue running the race. Continue running the race because when you, when you get to the end of the race, you're gonna receive the crown of life. There's a glorious reward that awaits you. And I think that reward, that crown of life, it's two things. One, I think it, it, it does speak to eternal life. It speaks to, you know, the day will come when we experience the crown, we get the crown of life, we experience eternal life. But secondly, I, I think it speaks of, to a current reality right now in our lives that we can experience something of life here and now. I think there's a higher quality of life for us if we grasp these truths, if we surrender to these truths, if we let them define who we are. And I think that higher quality of life, I think it can include fresh assurance of faith, fresh assurance of who we are in God, a fresh enabling maybe even a fresh gift of joy that we can experience in life. Definitely, I think, this gift of contentment, that as we experience this gift of contentment, that there's a, a quality of life that God gives us right here, right now. I mean, think of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 4.11, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. May this be true of all of us. Can I invite the band up? I'm just gonna sum up. So remember the big idea. Christ followers, keep your sense of self, keep your identity rooted in Christ, not in your temporary circumstances. In other words, don't think lowly of yourself when you're in humble circumstances. Don't think too highly of yourself when you're better off. And he's speaking to those in the local church. Let's consider our relationships. Let's consider our attitudes and our actions and our thoughts toward each other. Why don't you stand? I want to pray for us. Like, let me give you, I'm going to give you like a minute just to respond, just reflect for a moment. What has God been saying to you? Has God challenged you? Has he touched on a a part of your life? Just take a moment to, to just respond to God through prayer. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that your truth goes beyond our material circumstances. That we live by something that is far more important, the truth of the gospel. The truth about who you say we are, of the purpose you give us, the meaning you give us, the significance you give us, the sense of belonging you give us. And God, in, in, even in South Africa, where material wealth is so connected to race and culture, we want to pray, God, that you would cause us, even right here in the body of Christ, in the church, that you would challenge our perceptions of each other, of those in different circumstances, that we would learn to love and treasure and move toward and see each other differently that we could be the church, the body of Christ, this new people that are an example to our watching world of what true life really is. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to take... beauty of the story of the cross is that at the foot of the cross the ground is level, becomes common ground, excuse the pun we get a new position of oneness Galatians 3.28 says that there is neither Jew nor Gentile male nor female white nor colored or black, we're all one 
in Christ because of the work of the cross. So we celebrate that oneness as we come to drink and eat. But we also live in anticipation. We look forward to doing this anew with our Savior. As Christ followers, we look forward to that day, a day of celebration. Therein is the message of the second coming already proclaimed. He's coming back again. And he said that at the supper with his disciples, the last supper. This is not the end. We're going to do this again. But first I have to lay my life down. And then also Galatians 6 verse 14, where Paul is so encouraging us, where he says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. And then as Paul reflects on the, the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, he says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. You and I are doing that today. There's something amazing when we come to do this. For whenever you drink and eat this bread, or drink, eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing that. There's a proclamation to this. So let us eat together. And in this there is the oneness. As my body was broken, he brings wholeness to us. Maybe you're feeling broken today because of many things. But it's encouraging you to be poor in spirit this morning as we surrender to He who is rich. He who was rich, says Philippians 2, laid down everything and He took a form of a servant and He went to the cross. So we eat together in remembrance of that. battling a bit to open this. I was just told in the first, after the first meeting by Bob, just tilt up the little plastic in and then it opens up very neatly. This cup is the new covenant between God and His people. An agreement confirmed with His blood. We do this in remembrance of Him offered as we drink this. Thank you for the blood. Isaiah proclaims that he says that even through the death of Christ there is healing not only for the spiritual man but for the physical frame. And you know Donnie's not well today and so we pray that God would even by his stripes receive healing into that body as he travels abroad even to represent our community with the advanced team we pray for him as a community even as our Lord continues to pray for his church we do exactly that today so thank you Father for this feast of remembrance of what you have done for us thank you that through this we are now clothed with a new garment of righteousness 
that comes from you alone. And therein we boast, as Paul says, all that he has done for us is by grace and grace alone.